The Overview is a production of Chaman V TV. Find out more about the show at chamanv.tv. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 63 of The Overview. I'm Chan Man V, and joining me today is ZP from his lovely hotel room. What's up, buddy? You know, it, the hotel is actually a castle from the outside. <laughs> it's a castle? It feel like a castle from the inside, but it is actually a castle from the outside. So, you know what? I'm just going to live that one up. Okay. All right. I'm going to have to, I'm gonna, you're going to have to prove that. You're going to have to take a picture at some point. But joining us, today, <laughs> joining us today is our guest, Morte from Team E United. What's up, buddy? Uh, nothing much. We had a chill day. Not that much practice. So. Oh, really? Okay. So Not today. Normally we play a lot. We did more tactics today. So Nice, nice. We're going to definitely dive into that or at least ask you about tactics. And do you guys look at videos together and all that good stuff? Or are you guys just, it's more of just like a, a circle, a round table where you guys talk about stuff? Uh, we have uh, codes. We record thoughts. But today we mm -hmm. mostly went over stuff like before the matches. Mm -hmm. Like normally we watch thoughts like after the matches and see what we did wrong. But today we mostly did like stuff before the matches and then implement that in our scrims. So okay. we had like a set plan before going in. Nice. So I think it's like important that you like balance those two out. That you yeah. always have like new stuff coming in. Because yeah. it's kind of a bit of dive. You do still kind of have to make <laughs> up new stuff sometimes. <laughs> Little things, right? Of course. Little things. Yeah. Well, today, guys, we've got a list of things, or just a slew of things, as usual. We're going to talk about the end of the anniversary event, which will conclude tonight. So get all your loot boxes and all that good stuff and make sure you get that. Uh, well, we actually, the double XP ended yesterday, but that was pretty nice. We can talk about that too. Uh, Overwatch contenders, of course, these guys, you know, playing, casting. We had the EU that uh, qualifiers happened this past weekend and group stages were, were announced today. So you get a chance to preview, take a look at the groups, especially Morte's group too. Uh, and then we'll get catch up some with Morte just while we're talking about all that stuff. Apex season three, of course, there's uh, been lists of news, lots of different things, players, <laughs> a little bit of drama and some things actually at E3 too. And then Q&A at the end, we've got three email questions. We actually got a slew of them this week, which was really, really awesome. So thanks everybody for doing that. And if you want to get your questions in, maybe before the end of the show, uh, go ahead and email those to theoverview at chamanv.tv, and we will get to them as soon as we can. All right. Well, let's start off by talking about the anniversary event. So this is the last day, and um, actually we can talk about the double XP too, since they, you know, the last four days they they um, made that available. So anytime you played. A lot of those bonuses that you would get, you get basically get double for them, which um, you know resulted in me getting like twelve, thirteen thousand XP every time I played, which was pretty awesome. So, uh, what do you guys think? What did you guys think about the weekend? And I don't know, maybe just generally anniversary event, uh, Morte. So I'm probably the pro player who plays the least ranked in the world. <laughs> what? So it's not really, really something that benefited me that much. Yeah, I'm I'm a loser player. I don't really play ranked that much. If I play ranked, yeah. I'm like playing for fun. And then people are flaming me. Like sometimes we like I do a queue like super serious. <laughs> yeah. But that was mostly mostly when I'm like in Korea. When we were in Korea, I used to play with crews a lot, and then we would play serious, and I would just play like Senyata and. But now I don't know. Okay. I'm just focusing on my Lucio, and then. So I gotcha, gotcha. Lucio on the ladder, not the not the most ideal place to be. You know, trying to practice and getting better with them. ZP, how about you? You had a chance to 
get some of that XP this weekend? I did get a chance to get a little bit of the XP here, uh, even though it was less than ideal playing on a laptop and hotel internet. Uh, it was uh, me, Hex, yeah. Jcap uh, playing there, and it was quite a bit of XP. Overall, I do think events like this are very good just for getting people back into the game where, you know, people ebb and flow on interest. But when you tell them that they can get double the uh, payout for their time, mm-hmm. you're going to bring people back in. And I would say that, yes, it's an anniversary event and it brought people back in. But I do wonder if Blizzard looked at the numbers and goes, wait, a lot of people actually came back to play just because of double XP. I would there's part of me that thinks we might see more double XP weekends in the future just because of how successful I think this one was. And there's enough uh, press about it that I think that it was successful. I don't know the actual numbers, but it's just a cool thing to give to people every now and then. Yeah, I think it was good timing too, given that they got a lot of flack for just this recent loot box or the skin and emote distribution being a bit more expensive than their previous ones. So mix up a bit. I I think uh, I saw that... Uh, who was it? Was it Jason? It was one of the casters. Who was it? It was one of the casters that got like like 50 levels. Or no, no, you know who it was? It was Reinforce, I think. He he ended up getting like 50 levels in, like in, in this four days. And I'm like, holy crap, dude. That's a <laughs> lot of levels. That was personified by Reinforce tweeting uh, one of the old Tom and Jerry cartoon pictures where, you know, Tom is putting up his eyelids with tape. He's just like, all right, well, we just finished the surfing. Better go grind out more levels because, look, I mean, maybe at some level you look at other players and go, wow, this player's a gold border. You know what? I would like to have a gold border. And if you were making uh, inroads on that, double XP weekend is a good time to do it. That's true. That's true. I mean, those guys, they don't don't have to work for – I mean, there's not much for them to – are left for them to accomplish. So the gold border is obviously that light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of them. I need to respond to one quick thing here. I'm uh, getting a little bit of crap from Jason Chad talking about picking Widow. The only thing I regret about picking Widow <laughs> oh is God. doing it on a laptop and not doing it from a real setup. So, ha. Huh. <laughs> oh, man. Well, overall, uh, how, how did you guys fare with the anniversary event? Have you guys had to... Do you just buy loot boxes, Morte, or do you just not even care about skins? And that that's I mean, we get lo- we get XP from uh, playing skins now, so that yeah. we that's pretty good. So we get I actually get quite a f- I think I got like maybe fifty total in this whole event. What really? I'm not. Oh, are you ta- are you talking about loot boxes? Fifty total. Yeah, like yeah, yeah probably. Good. So I got quite some uh, legendaries and so. I don't really. I I'm not like the best guy to ask. Like I don't really care that much <laughs> yeah. about skins. I don't really care. Like for example, I use my emo. I pick the best emote to have the best emote in the game, so I can sit in a corner somewhere and I'm like less visible. That's like the way I think of it. So I yeah, know. yeah. The sitting, <laughs> the sitting one's a good one, so you can hide in the bushes and and things like that. No, but Lucio is a cool one though. The corner, sit, yeah. watch, and then when the tank comes, boop him off the map. That's, that's like perfect. <laughs> that's right, exactly. The Lucio one is one I really really wanted. It has it has like jazz music whenever you switch the songs. So that was uh, pretty interesting to me, oh, for me. I, you I you did just got full controversial there, uh, Chamman, because Why? a lot of people hate the music swap. They're like, I like the skin a lot, and I don't mind the music swap, but there are people with very just volatile views oh on that Lucio skin. It is, it's polarizing. I don't like it either. I think it's too loud as well, like the difference. I don't know. Oh, also, think, I do oh, like the dancing emote because I dance a lot on the payload. <laughs> like, just whole rounds just dancing on the payload. Yeah, Lucio is do tweet on the payload. I still I need to elevate to Vince's level to be able to achieve that. <laughs> all right, ZP, how about you, man? How, how'd you do? Did you get all the skins, and are you a collector of all of them? Are you one of those type? 
Uh, actually, I, at one point I was, but now I've just gotten to a point where I just save loot boxes and don't open them. Mostly because I don't I know even it understand triggers. that. You know that the loot boxes are already established and created when you get them, right? It's not like no, when you open them, doing... they change or anything like that. Oh, no, I'm fully aware. I'm not doing it for the loot. I'm doing it to just trigger anyone that walks by when I'm on that account because they see something like 60 loot boxes unopened and they go, what in the world are you doing? It, it actually, I actually think it causes physical pain to hexagrams anytime he views my account. So <laughs> that's really why I don't open the box at this point. Man, you're going to be like Crip one of these days. Crip had like 600,000 dust saved up just for this huge event and then when he pressed the button the game totally crashed <laughs> so like, you're gonna be one of those people that has a hundred thousand loot boxes one of these days and then you're not gonna be able to open all of them or you're gonna break the game some way um overall i i think i've gotten i didn't get all the skins i i didn't get the genji win which kind of sucks but overall i think i ended up getting all the dance dances which were the most important things for me and then uh just uh, the Lucio skin, and then the there was one other skin that I was tr- the Bastion skin. I thought was pretty cool too. I, I think I, the that those two, and then God, what was the last one? There was like one other one that I I really wanted. Oh, the Diva one. Yeah, the Diva one was the the ones that I was really really wanting. So I ended up getting all the ones I wanted, but there's definitely a lot more that I could have gotten. Just didn't have enough time, or didn't have the money to, to really throw into getting trying to get some more. Uh, overall, though, I think the event went well. I, I think that, um, you know, mission accomplished. The next event, probably the Summer Games, right? It's a couple months from now. I think that seems to be the right timing since the first one was in August. So we can expect that. And I'm eager to see, like, how much stuff will be added to it because the previous ones will be open, too. You know, um, and I still need to get the, the Genji. If I remember correctly, Summer Games was the first event where you had limited time skins, so this is going back, because I remember people got really upset the first time around Summer Games, where they didn't allow you to buy things with currency at all. That was before they implemented the you can yeah. buy it for three times the amount uh, type system. So not only will you be able to get on skins that perhaps eluded you the first time around, but there will be extra goodies, presumably. Assuming it even comes back, which yeah. you would think it would, but... Mm-hmm. Did they say that? That they're gonna like re? Can you mm-hmm. get the skins from last year? Did they say that? They said that like, I... last time, uh, yeah, last year or whatever. I think okay. I believe. Yeah, I, I don't I think the intent for a lot of the event skins is to have them be permanently unavailable. Although it does make it a little bit weird. So, like anniversary skins, like obviously you would think that would come back every year. Some of the other things, like the uh, Omnic Invasion event, I wonder like how that gets spun because if that's a yearly thing, does it just? I don't know. I guess there's a few ways it could work where you could get access to those skins again because you sort of have gone on the idea here that most new skins add to Overwatch now are limited time events. Yeah, I would. To be honest, I'd prefer if you couldn't go back and get them. You know, like it, it was that was it. Like, the, you know, and if you have them, and you're kind of special, right, to have all those skins. Uh, and another thing too is like if they do include all the old ones in the summer, then that dilutes the loot boxes for the summer games, you know, like what if I have all the old ones and I only want the new ones, I'm going to be getting a ton of repeats. And we've already talked about how bad the repeats are for these, these events, because you only get 200 gold for something that costs 3000. Anyways, that would be much worse for me. And I kind of wish they would just add new stuff going forward. Yeah, Same. I like, I think it will be like skins being rare makes it more special Mm -hmm. for sure. So I think that like, also like the, you have to think like if you think like let's say two years ahead and then people are coming into the game and then they people have skins they've never seen before and they mm-hmm. that's I, I think that's fun so mm-hmm. should just not open it up again
Agreed. All right. Well, again, guys, it ends tonight. Get your games in. Just last-minute games. Try to get those loot boxes, uh, and then you will. We'll see what happens next uh, for the next event. All right. Overwatch contenders. So that's uh, obviously the big narrative that right now in the Overwatch space, and especially, particularly with these two guys. And we had NA the uh, last week, the qualifiers, and then so EU qualifiers happened this past weekend. Included EU United with Morte here. Uh, so let's take a look at, um, I guess, the qualifying teams, and then we can get y'all's um, any just thoughts on how everything went this weekend. So let me show that real quick here. All right, so here are the 16 teams that qualified from the EU region. Uh, so EU Knight on top. No surprise there, Morte, I guess, but... You know, I, I was just telling... Wait, wait, no surprise there. That's a big surprise there. He United, even back to the reunited days, has always had the curse of, like, getting second in everything. <laughs> oh, They're the God. most consistent second-place team. <laughs> so he United beating Misfits convincingly, <laughs> that was a surprise. And uh, honestly, the best congratulations I can give to you, Morte, there, where I know you guys have been working at it for ages and ages. So the get over the mountain, and even if it is just seeding that was at stake here, I mean, it's still a big milestone for you guys. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the thing is, like, this forever second meme is not seem something that we actually really thought about. Like, the times we got second, we, I mean, we still got second in, like, getting second at Gamescom, for example, is not really a shame. It's just unfortunate. But, I mean, I don't know. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's good that we, at least we showed we aren't forever second and we can do it. So It's possibly going, yeah, def definitely. And, I mean, we were talking earlier, this is like qualifying you for group stages, but the seedings, you know, going into this is actually really, really important. And we're about to talk about the group stages too in, in just a second. But yeah, this week, how did it feel? I mean, like, do you get, I feel like you guys have been, you know, ever since you, you guys had the roster change and, you know, had the actually big change, you guys have been slowly kind of climbing that mountain and really, you know, just getting that, that feel as a team, you know, coming together and really improving. And I think you guys have hit that stride at this point and wanted to see how, you know, what your thoughts are on that. Like, do you, do you feel that? Do you feel like you guys are, are on the way up there and should, you know, I think right now you could make an argument as, you know, you guys being one of the top teams in Europe and, you know, going beyond that, like, how do you feel right now? So, I mean, it's not really a, a secret that we were in a slump since probably Gamescom. Like E-League, yeah. e we had a bad performance and then we flew straight to um, Apex Season 1 where we, I mean, we didn't have a really bad performance. We got out of groups and then we had a super close quarterfinals that we lost. It was unfortunate. But then, I mean, then we just read it all roster. We got Sharik, we got Rubicon, and then we played the Rubicon <laughs> yeah. for a long time. And then we just we just got Boombox. With, Legendary, his man's right clicks are like better than mine, which is probably the biggest compliment <laughs> I can give in the world. And right. um, yeah, so and then this weekend, like we probably had like the, I mean honestly, we had the easier side of the record, mm -hmm. and we actually had a lot of close matches. Like uh, before we came to the finals, like super close. Like even our two zeros were like a lot of ninety-nine to ninety-nine on courts, and uh, some we even had to go to the third map two times, I think. And then against Misfits, we just had a break, and we uh, everyone just got some food. And then I think we everyone just played. We just played really well against Misfits. Misfits, I think. And then Sharik did his uh, monkey thing on the last map to just secure it instantly. <laughs> so that was nice. Yeah. 
The Bucky thing. I will say the biggest uh, story I feel like of the new pickups that you guys have worked through, though, definitely was Boombox, where it's one of those things in Overwatch where a lot of the times it gets thrown on DPS players, right? Where the idea that a DPS player can bring back a losing fight when perhaps the fight hasn't started on the right foot. But you had so many times where Boombox was just able to basically give you guys a free fight because he's throwing his orbs in the right place catches someone for effectively a kill before you guys have invested any resources into it. And it's like, oh, actually, we just take this fight for free. And he was doing that at consistency that you haven't really seen from others in Yada. So uh, this is a part where it could be a little bit enlightening people. But where did you guys pick Boombox from? I mean, we picked him from Cyclones. And we picked him because he was just... I mean, he did the same thing against us. He's like the most annoying guy to play against. You can just dive on him, and most of the time, he's still going to get a kill. And, like, it's actually, it's true. Like, a lot of the times you see is uh, a Tracer getting, like, an early kill with a, pul a pulse bomb. But a Zenyata can do exactly the same, and it has exactly the same impact on the fight after that. Mm -hmm. Like, the amount of times uh, Boombox just gets, uh, like, e even if we have control, he just gets a right-click on someone. It just... It just tilts. It's so tilting to get like delayed like that all the time, and it just helps. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those Zenyatta charge ups, man. I've been seeing them nonstop, and yeah, it, it's it's been amazing. So Cyclones, you know, getting Boombox from Cyclones. I actually thought Cyclones was going to take a you know pretty big hit after that that um you know that roster change, but they've been still doing fine. I mean, they ended up winning day two, right? Yeah. So the. Mm -hmm. That team actually has like they were so stacked because uh, Laser Kittens even stole Mozasa from them. Yeah, that's and right. Boombox oh, is Gansa. They lost two people, but they're still doing like really good. It says a lot about them. Like, I think it's actually like people are telling them that as well. That it's like it's props that they're staying together. Like, mm -hmm. I think a lot of teams would have just disbanded instantly and just all gone to different. I mean, all of them could literally find a new team, probably like even a salary team. But they're just sticking together and looking for a home. So. Well, one thing that's yeah. worth knowing there is that the cool thing about contenders is that, yes, uh, teams want to go as far as possible, but it is sort of a player proving grounds in a sense, right? Where you mm -hmm. think about the other things coming up for Overwatch into the future and how contenders is really just the very beginning, even if they don't stay together as a team. I mean, what you're saying is very encouraging for them because other teams are going to be looking to round out uh, spots, get upgrades where possible, and maybe they'll look to the Cyclones roster where, I mean, on one hand, it's bad to the idea that, oh, they keep getting poached, but if they all get poached to better places, then, you know, it, it, that can also be a thing into the future. So there, there's a lot of teams, you know, I, I would say on this list that maybe folks that are listening or watching probably don't know. You know uh, they're very familiar with some of them, given that the EU region, again, hasn't had that many events, and we haven't been able to, to really showcase a lot of these brands. But just to read it out, just for the folks on, on audio, it's EU United, Misfits, Movie Star Rider, Singularity, 123, Laser Kittens, Bazooka Puppies, VV's Adventure, Cyclowns, Gamer... Gamers Origin, NWA, Team Expert, Alpha Squad, Ninjas in Pajamas, Cyber Athletes, and Esperati. <laughs> okay, yeah, making sure I pronounce that right. Well, one name that a lot of people do recognize is Ninjas and you know Nip, obviously Ninjas in Pajamas, and you know they finished what 14th on this list. So not, again, not the greatest performance from them. So wanted to get your thoughts. What do you guys notice with Nip, maybe particularly this weekend? So I, mean, I kind of want. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Morte. Uh, I mean, they are known as probably the tank team in Europe, and <laughs> yes. tanking is just not that strong right now. So they basically already started playing with Linkser because they have to adapt to the dive. Like, I don't know if you watch TakeOver, but you 
basically they played Zenyatta with double slash triple tank a lot with like uh, uh, Diva and Ryan. And then they had Zapis playing Tracer and Genji for them. And I don't think that's something that will ever, ever work in the long run if you want to like have a semi-okay dive. Like you don't even always have to dive with a Genji, but I don't think it's possible for your Tracer player to also be a Genji player in your team. So that's why they struggled before and now they got playing with Lynx and I don't think it's like realistic to expect a team to do immediately well. So I think you just need to give them some time. I mean, they're good players. They just need some time, I think. And they need to completely rework their like compositions and the way they play. I mean, you stop and think about the history of NIP here, and we were talking a little bit about before the broadcast, Morte, but they were way back in the day before they got picked up by NIP, they were SG1, and they struggled for a really long time, and it wasn't until they sort of discovered, wait, heavy tank play can be effective in Overwatch, and we're going to use this, that they started catching teams off guard where there was a notable game where or day where they caught uh, Reunited off guard, and it was sort of like, wait, this tank stuff is really effective. But it does feel like we've come full circle here in that, you have a team that was never really very successful at non-tank gameplay, now forced into a situation where the meta isn't really allowing teams to be that successful with three, four tanks. And it's been a bit of a struggle for them. Now, you mentioned that they're adjusting having Linkser on. Linkser had a very standout performance, mm -hmm. but would they need to do more in terms of, like, where do you think NIP has to go from here, the sort of build on where they have Linkser doing work and whatnot? Like, what's the next step? Because they haven't really taken that step yet. Yeah, I don't really, like, I don't want to judge or something, but it's like, I don't think you can say that much yet. You should probably give them, like, a week or two and see how mm -hmm. this works out for them, them adapting to dive. Like, if you can't make a good dive team, the thing is, like, I, I a lot of teams right now are, like, focusing on uh, one thing. Like, we are also, like, known as a dive team, obviously. Like, we always used to dive before as well, and we maybe we were just worse after Gamescom because the tank meta came up and we were just not strong because of that. But I actually, I, I don't think it's like feasible to make like a team based on a meta. Like a, a lot of teams are kicking people and replacing people just because one meta isn't working. But mm -hmm. I think you should always have like a team, like, for example, it's like, uh, for example, I think Fraggy is really good on Reinhardt, but I don't think he's that strong on Winston. But there's a lot of people right now in the dive meta who are like really good on Winston, but aren't that right. strong on Reinhardt. But I don't think that's like... Um, sustainable model for like the long run i think you need to have players who are like good on multiple things because realistically tanks are going to come back in like let's say <laughs> nine months or a year when there's a new support introduced so i think it's like i think i mean they've been together for so long they should probably just stick it through put in the time and see and if i mean i think it's pretty easy to see in a dive composition who's really really underperforming so can yeah. just take it from there. Yeah, I mean, it's Actually, one of those. I, I mean, I think it's one of those things where it, it just plays into the the same thing that we've always discussed, which is these rosters just need to be more than six players. Otherwise, you're just going to be having turnover, and you know, again, just adapting to the meta. It, it just doesn't. It's not good for your organization. Or it's not good for the player group, right? To always feel like you're a meta change from just being dropped from a team, and that doesn't create for stability in a good team. One thing uh, actually is interesting, you brought up uh, the team core staying together. I mean, really, the Reunited core has been together for a very long time. And yes, <laughs> yeah. there have been some changes here and there, but you guys don't change all that frequently. And then, of course, NIP, as you mentioned, they've been together for a really long time. And really, the change with uh, Mafu, who had the best hat in all of esports, uh, now uh, sort of taking a backseat to Linkser. I mean, NIP, this is one of the first changes they've made in a really long time. Yeah. 
was, was it a stubborn thing in y'all's opinion, or do you think it was a more of a more of a decision that they felt that the meta will swing around? It's just a cyclical thing, so we'll we'll have to take our hits, you know, during during this few months or these few months where dive is is a, a big part of the meta, uh, but. The tank meta should come back around. It's just that's how it generally works. You know, we we've seen that. You know, in Overwatch, where every six months, every maybe a little bit longer than that, we do see things coming back. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, do you see that as they, possibly been a decision there? Yeah, but I don't think you can. I mean, you realistically can't just wait for the tank meta to come back. <laughs> I they they, yeah, they I mean, it seemed like they were though. It totally seemed like they were being. I think like pulling teams apart, like for us, we have our core together for so long as well. And we, yeah. I, I mean, I don't like, I don't really know like how much it influences our gameplay, but I'm pretty sure like we have the most fun outside the game, like on TeamSpeak and stuff. So, I mean, okay. I'm, I, I think that uh, that helps in like powering through downtimes. Like we've been in slumps as well, uh, as well. Like sometimes even you play just we're super bad at games for like a day or two, but we're just making jokes and we just know like we've been there like so many times already that you just know that you're gonna get out of it and just if everyone just does its job that i don't know i think it's it helps like there's one side where if you get too friendly people become a bit lazy i think mm -hmm. and sometimes that happens in our team like if you don't know anyone in your team then it's more of like a, a real job and you just turn up for practice you put in everything because everyone is putting in everything mm -hmm. so I'm not really sure yet what's the better side. If it's better to be friends and have a lot of fun, or if it's it can, better to just, I don't know. It can be hard well, to let. Like it, can, it can be hard to let players go too. If you are super friendly and you know have that kind of relationship. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I was, I was, I, I mean, me and Tweez are best friends. <laughs> we kicked him so. Right. <laughs> right. Hey, Tweezy is making a strong comeback uh, in NA. So, yeah, you know, fun. all things do work out. One thing I will note there as far as it goes, uh, you're right. There are two different approaches, although I do wonder if the sort of friend approach, how long that's going to last, because it does feel like there's been more of a dominant trend in Overwatch to going, actually, we're going to come in here with a coach that's going to just really be somewhat of a hard ass and running things and going rest. Not like saying people can't have fun, but sort of you have this overwhelming authority figure. Because from what you're describing, does it sound like you have, I don't know the details of the United coaching situation, but does it sound like you have a situation like you do with C9 where you hear about stories about C9 where Bishop runs a very tight ship in terms of organizing people saying, hey, we're going to run this. Uh, they are not at all uh, hesitant to swap up players if it's needed, where you've had a lot of roster swaps on uh, C9 in recent times. But that's a different way of running a team than sort of what you're describing that you have right now with United, in a sense. I mean, we don't really run a tight ship, no. I mean, maybe at some point it's going to have to be like a bit tighter, like coaching-wise, like, but no, not like kicking players and stuff, but more like forcing people to play serious and to always show up in time. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. like we're late a lot, but I mean, that's like more... I think you have like coaches. The thing is, I think like a lot of coaches in this game don't really have the knowledge yet to like help the players like play better. I think most of the teams should just like fo focus themselves on like uh, discussing what they could improve. And then a coach should more be there to like realize what mistakes were made, record votes, and just 
uh, repeat stuff back, like what we went over and that kind of stuff. And then you can also have a coach who's like really strict and who's like, like for example, Dylor in League of Legends. I don't even think he knew anything about League of Legends before he went to Fnatic and he just got that team in order just by being strict. I think that's the way it can work as well. Yeah, I mean, organization is a big deal too. You know, just having structured schedules and I mean, that, that's a big part of the coaching too and making things much more efficient. Uh, we always talk about just the knowledge aspect of it. Um, okay, well, in terms of, you know, you know, you guys were in Korea, it seems like a long time ago now, but I guess if you look back at it, it wasn't that long ago. Um, if you guys were offered up and a chance to go back to Korea for the next season of Apex, would you guys Absolutely. jump on that? Probably. Well, if next season, well, that I thought like if we wanted to go back to Korea for sure, like a whole season. I mean, it depends what it clashes with. I mean, we're gonna have season one as well of uh, uh, Overwatch contenders, obviously, mm-hmm. and who knows when the Overwatch League comes rolling around. So might have to be a bit careful. But I mean, Korea is by far the the practice there is actually insane. Ranked there is better. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just. Like, honestly, like right now in Europe, it's also, it's getting, I mean, that's sounded, that's a bit arrogant, but it's, it's kind of hard to find like a full week of good practice simply because the exodus of EU teams has like started a long time ago already. So well, it's it's the, just no, going back to Korea again, I mean, I feel like if there is a way of making it work where it didn't conflict with things like contenders or otherwise, uh, Cruz would have a lot of just uh, feedback from very passionate fans that he has in Korea going, why are you not coming back here? Because uh, apparently Cruz... I mean, we all love Korea. I mean, I would go back instantly as well. But I mean, we were there for season one, but we also bootcamped there like... Mm-hmm. And how long was it? Like a month ago, one and a half month ago. So the funny part is like, that's like not a lot of people know that, but our screams there were actually like a slight disaster. Like we actually didn't have good performance there at all, but we actually took home a lot, like to stuff we just implemented. Like I have a full hard disk full of vault steel with schemes from Korea, where you can still just just sometimes just watch back and take stuff from. So it's pretty interesting. Hmm. Okay, uh, so why don't we talk about the group stages for um, the Overwatch contenders since all the qualifiers were done, and we've got both the NA and the EU qualifiers here. So. Um, I mean, given that we, we obviously were talking about EU, why don't we start with the Europe one first? So Group A, which is your group, EU United, Bazooka, Puppies, Team Expert, and Isparati. I think uh, we should win that. Yeah, I think I, I agree. Uh, this is a case where normally be like a challenge go, yeah, well, what do you so. think about this? And from what we saw over the first weekend of contenders play for EU. I really don't think United is going to have a whole lot of trouble with Group A unless uh, Morte purposely just tries to make things interesting to try and prove me wrong. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think this is a case where United was both in terms of just how they play as a team and the mechanical skill that they have. I I think you'd have to see a rather large uptick in gameplay from any of the other three teams in Group A, the Challenge United. That said, I do think that It'll be interesting to see who gets number two in Group A. Uh, I'd yeah. probably give an edge to Bazooka Puppies going in, but you never know. I think that the field could be more wide open there, aside from United, who's probably... Expert is actually also probably a pretty underrated team. Like They're playing pretty well lately, so I don't know. Bazooka Puppies, you mean? And I actually don't think we... Yeah, no, no, no but uh, Team Expert. Oh, and team Bazooka expert. Puppies... Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't even think we played them yet. I mean, Rubicon is on that team, so there's like a tiny bit of... 
And Esperati, we haven't played against at all yet, so it's interesting. I mean, we're just going to go all in on our, our matches and just see what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, yeah, okay. try out some new stuff, maybe. All the right, other group- groups are way more interesting. Yeah, uh, speaking of which, Group B has Misfits, uh, Laser Kittens, Ninjas with Attitude, and Esporters Cyber Athletes. <laughs> I love that name. Oh, yeah. That's so classic. Uh, all right, so this one, um, I don't know, this one pretty cut and clear, or clear cut for you guys. Like, I, I didn't get a chance to see some of the uh, Ninjas with Attitudes and Esporters Cyber Athletes think, play. Well, nin- Ninjas has a pretty... Mm-hmm good team as well so they could come out surprisingly like realistically misfits and lazy kid and should get one and two but i'm more most interested in who is going to get one and who is going to get two in this group <laughs> just because i i mean we've been screaming lazy kittens not that much i think we played them yeah no we actually only played them once now i think so but they played really well so i maybe they had we're just underperforming against Misfits. I don't know. Like, uh, Misfits really played well. And I don't know if we, we didn't play well when we were, like, we didn't have a good day when we were skimming Lazy Kid. It's, like, so hard to, like, say, especially with Dive. If you have, like, a bad day or if someone has a bad day, let's say your Tracer has a bad day mm-hmm. or or your Genji has a bad day, then it, you can't really say, like, yeah, who's performing. So I actually think that matchup is going to be probably a bit closer than the first one. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know who's going to... I would say there. I mean, I think you can make arguments for both sides, even though Misfits in their last showing did look significantly stronger than Laser Kittens. When you take in totality how Misfits has struggled at times in recent times, the fact that Laser Kittens has done a lot of good prep behind the scenes is... And I take this last with a grain of salt because it's scrims, but you know, I'm just hearing stories about what they've done behind the scenes and scrims. Otherwise, I do think that's a case where it wouldn't be that surprising if Laser Kittens came above Misfits in this group. And then you sort of have the wild card of wherever Ninjas with Attitude uh, might be, where in theory there is a lot of experience and skill on that team, yeah. but they didn't really live up to it over the course of the qualifiers. I mean, they played well enough to qualify for the group stage, but. I would say it would require Misfits or Laserkins both to have a rather big downturn for NWA to sneak the number two spot away from either of them. And eSport or Cyber Athletes, I mean, great team name and whatnot aside, I, it, would, it feels like a tall order for them to not only get above NWA, but also yeah. like get above either Misfits or LK. It doesn't feel like it's going to happen, but you never know. Yeah. So the interesting thing with Misfits, I think, is like, like I take TV, they obviously didn't have the best showing. Only the last match they played really well, and I think it mostly had to do with them being kind of stubborn. And they they like played dive. They played like a lot of compositions before before take TV. Remember skimming them? They played like dive. They played tanks, but they played tanks like a lot still. And I think they pretty much gave up on that like a few days before take TV and now. So they actually got way better before take TV and since take TV they've been like really really improving it's actually like the, the coordination between Nevix and Tavik sometimes I think you can it was even on the stream a few times where like Tavik goes around the back and they like literally delete the Zen or the Ana within like a millisecond <laughs> together their coordination That's is awesome. really scary but it's just the teamwork like the rest of the team is like I don't know still needs to improve a bit one question I had for you, Morte, here, and this is just one of those things and trying to evaluate uh, whether or not it was the right path. And, of course, Misfit certainly thinks it is. But uh, So Tavik is one of the most multi-talented players in the game. I mean, going all the way back, there's a time where you could put him on basically anything and expect things to go really well. But it always felt like he had more of a tilt towards projectile DPS. And 
I'm not sure you see it right now, but finding good projectile DPS has been really hard in the Overwatch scene. Do you think that Misfits uh, made the right call going to Tavik and go, actually, we want you to be our tracer versus trying to put him more on projectile DPS? Because that's just interesting. Because again, for me, even though we can play everything, historically, I sort of associated with him more with, say, Genji than Tracer, which is now the path that he's going down. So the thing is, I think Nevix and Tavik were both really good Tracers and really good Genjis, but I, they did have to make a decision who's going to play what. Like, sometimes in matches you had, we had Monathan playing Genji and then Nevix playing Tracer and then Tavik playing Diva. Like, they, that, that's, <laughs> yeah. uh, they like to do so much that yeah. they probably just did too much. Like, you don't always have to keep reinventing, like, inventing stuff. Like, I think I think the Vic is a really good trace. He's a really smart player. I, I I think you could change it around as well, but I don't don't think it matters much. Like realistically, I think Nevix might be. Uh, I said that's the way I said it like before on Teamspeak as well. Like Nevix, I think is a better Genji without ult, and I think the Vic is way better with ult. So I don't know like which is more important. Mm. Like, <laughs> <laughs> one builds yeah, the all too quicker and once yeah. Yeah. If only you could just swap computers where you get to thing mid tournament where you just <laughs> like, hey guy old, I go old, come come take over <laughs> right now. But I mean <laughs> Tracer is massively impactful now as well. And just the pick being on that and being such a smart player, just I don't yeah. Like even the Valu Valu says that as well. You don't like uh, you don't need to have the best aim on Tracer. You just need to be a smart player, go back for your orb sometimes, play around med packs, play around your E. And yeah, I mean, Tvik is probably one of the smartest players in the game. And that he can play everything is just helpful. I think right now it's probably better to focus on one uh, slash two heroes in dive. Yeah. And just have one flexer. I mean, we basically, I mean, right now we sometimes flex a lot, but I mean, it's basically been unfixed flexing for us to pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. Unfixed has done the uh, world tour of heroes where I go back and remember him on things like Farah. And now he's doing more 76. So like oh, yeah. it, it just over the Farah course of it that. for a reunited, it does feel like he has been the Swiss army. By far. Yeah. He plays May, Diva, 76, Farah. He plays Junkrat. Oh, we don't <laughs> yeah, exactly. pull it out anymore. He, he even played Genji for us for a while. So We saw some junk. <laughs> we did see some junk last week, yeah. right? That was crazy. All right, Group C, guys. This one is... Seems to be completely open. Anybody can take this. Yes. Singularity Ninjas, VV's Adventure, Gamer's Origin, and NIP at the end, or NIP at the end. So um, kind of an interesting ranking here, but uh, you know, Sing- Singularity Ninjas did perform pretty well. So who do you think is going to come out of this one? This is a big prediction here. No clue. <laughs> no clue. No, no, but I, this is the funny part. Like, this is probably, it might not be the most interesting. It's a, it's a really interesting group just because... The teams are actually really, really close, probably in this group. So I actually don't know who's gonna take top two here. Like the others yeah. are probably more predictable. Group C, I don't think anyone could firmly say that they know who one and two are going to be, unless that person is just ignoring the volatility of the group or just wants to throw it out there for fun. Because really, you take a look at it, you can make arguments in many different directions as to how Group C can do, just because you're dealing with teams that have had high highs, high low or high lows, low lows. <laughs> and I mean, NIP is still a wild card because in theory, they have had times where they've been very close to winning tournaments. Now the rest, they have to deal with their issues. But if they were able to find a way of dealing with those issues before Saturday and come out strong, I mean, them taking one or two wouldn't surprise me. Gamers Origin had good moments. So did Vivi's and Singularity Ninjas. So it's, I don't know. It's so difficult to predict this particular group. It's easily the most unpredictable of the three. Yeah. 
Man, I'd be fortunate to be in this one. I mean, it could have been in some of the other ones, and I think it would have been more of a clear cut that they wouldn't be beating the top two teams in those groups. So, um, you know, maybe they can get it together with Linkster by that time. All right, Group D, Movie Star Riders, 1, 2, 3, Cyclowns, and Alpha Squad. So 1, 2, 3, I, I don't think I saw any matches with 1, 2, 3. How, did you guys, what do you guys think of 1, 2, 3? We played here? against them. No, yeah, I have what do you guys to, think? I'm... I'm, I think we had a really close match against them, actually. So okay. they right. were pretty good. Yeah, I mean, one, two, three looked promising. Uh, Cyclones also looked really good on day number two. Uh, Alpha Squad, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, maybe they could surprise us there. I'd say the thing that seems to be more concrete than that, although I, I would say I'd be really surprised if Movie Star Riders didn't end up at, at least two within this group, though there is the possibility that one, two, three, and Cyclones just played out of their mind. I don't think that's going to happen given there's just the level oh, of school seeing out of movie star writers. I think it's more likely to take number one, but correction, uh, it's my mistake. Team one two three is actually the team that took out Nip in the first qualifier. Yes. So yeah, that they we didn't play them. I thought we did. But yeah, that's yeah. actually interesting. Okay. And then Yeah. It would have been even better if one two three was in NIP's group because then you could have had the uh grudge match going yeah. on there. Yeah, that would be uh, at least something to talk about there. All right, well, let's go up to N- the NA brackets or the NA groups here. And uh, the NA, I think, top 16 definitely have a lot more recognizable team names here. And uh, we're going to start off with Group A with FaZe Clan, Selfless, CLG, and Team Liquid. I mean, this is a lot of, uh, a lot of I would say, fan-favorite teams all fighting against each other here. So, um, I mean, Selfless... I mean, I think maybe that's the first thing we should talk about. I mean, pretty big changes here because of the suspension of Defran, and obviously he will not be competing in in this group stage. Uh, so, I mean, I guess the first th- first question is how much is Selfless affected by this? Massively, you yeah. have removed from him one of the very best soldiers in the entire game, and Selfless was getting by not with great Overwatch strategy, but by just brute forcing people on mechanical skill, and a lot of that brute forcing came from Defran. Yeah. I'm still of the opinion when I look at Sinatra that Sinatra is a good player, but a lot of Sinatra's moments where he was going off and doing insane things really came from the part where the teams were more worried about Defran than they were Sinatra, because if you're trying to contain Defran, well, Sinatra is inherently getting a lot more room to work with. You see that happen not just in esports, but in traditional sports as well. I think it's going to be very tough for Selfless because even if you were to grab, say, a hitscan DPS like, I don't know, x Retsi, who's very good, you're still not going to reproduce what Defran was giving you. I think there's very, very few people in the game that could reproduce the impact of Defran, and it's a bad time to go through that level of adjustment at this stage in the tournament when you are have to get top two. Yes, for sure. And I mean, I think they just announced that the patch is hitting next week, which probably includes Rodok changes as well, which means they can play one week and they can play one group stage day with <laughs> one match. An overpowered Ro- Rodok before it gets nerfed. So yeah, well, that's also going to impact yeah. them drastically. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, even, even if you could find a soldier that's as good as the front, then still like just clashing with the team in that short amount of time is just unrealistic I, I think this will be a very hard group for them to get out of i think i mean faced are doing way better since they reformed and i mean i haven't i have to admit i haven't been following the following the na scene that closely right. so i don't really right. know like who i mean yeah well what, what, what my dark horse for group a 
I think mm-hmm. that phase, the way they're playing, is definitely a favorite to take first. But my dark horse to come back out and in more ways than one because their logo is a horse is that <laughs> I think Team Liquid played under what they normally do uh, in the qualifying days. I think Team Liquid actually has a really good chance to come out here and take second. Uh, just because mm-hmm. we've seen them play really well in recent memory and they've definitely underperformed. But I, I just think that there's things Team Liquid could do. And also, uh, you know, I've heard rumors of roster changes that might happen here. Uh, we'll see. But um, I-, I just think there's a lot to be said for the idea that Team Liquid, in many different ways, could come out and take number two or even perhaps surprise phase. I don't know. Maybe this is Hex rubbing off on wow. me. And just I don't, I don't really know if they're going to beat phase, but they... I, 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 I don't think it have, would be I mean, it's they, to discount the possibility. They have a high ceiling, and it's just a matter of consistency for that team. But, I mean, phase has been... I mean, obviously, phase had a huge weekend, right, last week, or a huge week. And I, I feel like CLG has been consistent the last few weeks, too. So, I mean, I don't know. T- team Liquid... Hulk joining them recently too. We'll see if that that kind of kicks in at all. I mean, but Phase is still playing uh, kind of handicapped, right? With Shadowburn, Genji from Europe, so that's like something yeah. that just keeps the people will like sometimes forget that. But if you put him into a, if you put him in an A, that's already going to improve them like drastically because it has a lot of impact. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even know like what the rules are, but aren't rosters locked for this? No, whole... they're not. No, they are not. So rosters were only locked. For qualifying weekend, you can change your roster to be whatever you want it to be going into the next weekend. So wow. it's pretty wide open, even to the point where I think if a player played for another team in the qualifier, I think that player could still play for a different team in the group stages. So I feel like you can. I kind of understand, but I don't really like that. Like realistically, it's just this. Yeah. Like then we're going to have the situation maybe like where a team qualifies for season one and then they get replaced by that's what i mean you I can abuse that <laughs> totally right like basically playing for spots right selling your spots yes. it's like yeah. okay hey, we oh, that, I, I, well i do believe the orgs have the right to the spot so you are correct that you could have a situation where a team qualifies and then the organization actually decides to dump the entire raw i mean that I believe that could be a thing. Don't quote me on it directly. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the specifics, but from whatever basic understanding I have, I mean that is a possibility. I don't think that's this is really going to happen, but I guess in theory it could. Yeah, um, but we have an admin in the chat, so that's good. The roster will lock again before the group starts, so we can't really change mid group stage at least. It's like oh, okay. Well, that's good. But <laughs> that'd be kind of crazy. So what? I yeah. Like Group A, I don't really have like I don't know how CLG has been performing lately. Actually, so I think they got better. Some so, more they improved. CLG improved because they swapped up their support. Where uh, they had the playing support for them, but that was really only proficient on Mercy, which led them running a lot of fair Mercy, which was very effective for them. But uh, eventually, they sort of hit a limit. Then they swapped out the for Shake, and Shake being on the team, he has a wider support pool, and he really enabled them to run Genji a lot more. He enabled them to swap up what they were running previously because they weren't locked in the mercy every game. So that's basically what gave CLG their uh, shot in the arm, where now they're more versatile. Uh, you still see Farah a lot more than you see from EU, but they're very comfortable putting hydration on the Genji and running from that perspective now too. So that's what's sort of given CLG more stability in recent days. Uh, well, given what we brought it up already a bit with the selfless talk and with the Defran, you know, one of the big news or big announcements that happened this week was that Defran was suspended, you know, and he, he got suspended for two seasons of Overwatch contenders as well as this entire competitive season. 
Uh, and that means not being able to compete in any, any events that Blizzard's hosting or anybody, or, you know, just or at least they're organizing, right? Uh, and um, this all stemmed from him tanking and trolling and I, I mean, just breaking the behavior clause, you know, in the, uh, the I think, the agreement, right? The agreement to participate in these, these um, leagues and events. So um, there was some debate about whether the punishment was too harsh, and wanted to see what you guys thought. You know, it was is Defran being made an example with an overly harsh penalty, or do you think this properly matches what he did? Uh, to- I don't. I don't think it's overly harsh. I mean, I think here's the thing: here is that we are hitting the point where you are expected to be held to somewhat of a higher standard here. And it's one thing to have banter or beef between different players and organizations. Otherwise, like for example, I wouldn't expect XQC to get banned for what he's saying about selfless or all the rest. Like that's just sort of trash talk that you do get. I think the line that DeFran crossed, and it's a very important line to note here is that it wasn't that he was just, you know, his persona towards other players. It's the part where he's throwing games and sort of going into the general player base and going in a sense via his actions. I'm more important than you. I'm just going to troll. I'm going to do this and starting to affect tangibly just players Overall, it's a, it was a very, very bad look that went beyond sort of mischievous actions that you might expect from other players. And it's not something that really looks good for the game where I'm not saying as a pro player you have to be a saint, but I th- do think there was a line crossed in how DeFran was handling himself. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree. Like, I actually think this punishment is like completely deserved. Like, I think the initial announcement they put out had him... They had like um, a typo where it said that he would be banned forever from tournaments run by Blizzard, oh, man. and that probably is a bit a bit too harsh. I mean, I mean, it's kind of obvious they're making an example out of him, but I think it's really important. Like you, we're we're getting to the stage. Like obviously, this is like um, a ramping up to the Overwatch League, and people just need to realize, like especially players. There's a lot of, I mean, I've been around for so long that I like i'd like to believe i know how to behave and stuff in the public so i think behaving professionally is like really important and trash talking is like trash talking is fun that adds a lot to the game i think i think sometimes people are too careful like i think it's fun for example that rogue trash talks so much that people are arrogant (laughs) but you just yeah but i mean i'm an arrogant guy as well but you just don't cross the line like it's uh, yeah yeah. i I would say in general i mean this is sort of like it's not really that much of a secret if you've been around competitive players anytime, but there's a point too where people have to realize is that you know players actually hold back their trash talk a little bit more than they otherwise would because frankly to get up to a really high level of play and uh, whether it be a video game or really most things in life the people that get to the very top like on some level you have to have an ego you can't give 100 like full on ggs etc i mean you can stop yourself from making a fool of yourself in public but you know players do have egos and sure you get your players that trash talk and have that come out in public but villains also make things more entertaining the part where defran crossed the line is the part where you're just actually throwing games that people are trying to win in good faith people that aren't even necessarily part of the high competitive scene and it's sort of like there's a line where you still expect people where be a villain all you want but still try and win your games don't outright throw well, you're you're yeah. griefing people. So, you, know, you can't grief them. Yeah. I mean, that that's always going to break, you know, conduct or whatever kind of rules for any game. And we we know Blizzard has been 
been trying to crack down on all of these things. I mean, that's why we have the, the feedback system. And I mean, you see a post like once every two or three months, they're talking about them, you know, trying to enforce it even more, right? And we won't, we don't get a chance to see what happens behind the scenes. But this is, you know, like when you become a high profile player and you're streaming, and yeah, not only are you griefing part. people, you're telling other people to grief people. That's when, like, come on, I mean, you're going to get get griefing you know, and throwing. Famous. Giving and throwing is one thing, but st- like actively streaming it and like showing you're yeah. doing it on purpose and yeah. just doing other stuff yeah. on your stream and telling people to do it, like that's where you cross the line. Like I can go, I mean, I, I would never do it, but I could go in-game throw right now. And as long as I don't stream, I mean, there's not that much impact it will have. Obviously, all throwers and grievers should be like removed from competitive play, but that's not, <laughs> I mean, that would change nothing like really. But if you start streaming it and you're like an open personality and you're considered to be a pro, you just have some, I think you have some moral code you have to adhere to. Yeah, higher responsibility. Well, the other thing, too, is that throwing is something that Blizzard comes down on pretty heavily if there is actual undeniable proof. The thing is that you can't really get undeniable proof in most of these cases unless the person outright admits it, which DeFran did with six hours of recorded video, because you do get, like, there's different uh, standards of what people consider throwing. Like, to give you an example of something that many pro players might consider throwing, but would never be considered throwing on an official level is that say you really wanted to practice Symmetra, right? Where you want to try Symmetra on offensive defense and see how you can make it work. A lot of people would go, holy crap, you're throwing. Why are you going Symmetra on offense in my game? But you don't know if that person just has the intent of trying to make it work, even though, you know, it's going to be difficult. That's not throwing, even though arguably they could play a higher win rate hero. It, that's in the gray zone that you'll never be able to punch. Yeah, the thing with that DeFran did is he says, I'm going to go tour of you and build turrets in my spawn while watching uh, videos on Twitch at the same time because I don't care about winning this game. That's not trying to play Torb in good faith to win a game. That is yeah. literally self-admitted throwing. Yeah. In the end, guys, it's no different than... I mean, other sports and maybe even other jobs these days. I mean, you've seen people getting fired for what they tweet you know, from all kinds of jobs. So, you know, your actions that aren't even necessarily in these type of events or whatnot will will be reflected upon you in terms of these, you know, this type of, uh, you know, your job or whatever. If you want to be a professional Overwatch player, then, you know, you need to, you have a different level that you have to behave. You know, your behavior has to be reflected even when you're not playing Overwatch. And, um so, you know, it's to be expected. Like like uh, Morte was saying, this is becoming more professional, and you, that's just going to have to be part of it. So, um, anyways, let's get back to the group stage. Just wanted to cover that, given that we <laughs> we were talking about it anyways. Um, all right, Group B, guys. LG Evil. Uh, you guys get paid. Toronto Esports and Envision. This one's uh, probably the. Go ahead. Probably the most wide open group. Yeah, of, I was going to say uh, the same stages thing. here. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because LG Evil, even though they've had times where they've been utterly dominant in A, they've had periods where they've been less than so. Uh, I do think uh, Jake's performance uh, and his comfort level certainly plays a part in that. And also, I mean, LG Evil, they've had the just different metas. I do think that they are in the upswing, so it'd be a little bit weird if they didn't get first in the group. But we have seen LG Evil sort of throw things away in the past, so. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sold on it being a lock for them to get first. The rest of it, I mean, Envision is an up-and-coming team. Toronto Esports also had a much better well. than expected showing. You mm-hmm. had a player really come out of nowhere as a superstar in Jaru, where I absolutely want to see more of him and what he brings to the table. And, of course, you guys get paid. I mean, that's a team that has veterans that has been around for quite a while, uh, looking to get to the next step as well. So I actually think that number two 
for Group B is very wide open. I wouldn't be really surprised to see any of the three teams under LG Evil take it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to root for Toronto. <laughs> my boy Onigot is over there. That's so. true. That's true. <laughs> I wonder if Oni is Oni in the chat. He probably I'm not even sure if he's in the chat right now. But yeah, that's, yeah, Oni got uh-huh. there. Envision had a good week too. It, it it just depends if they play at the same, uh, you know, just at that same level. You know, this week both actually Toronto Esports and Envision. You guys get paid too. Is a pretty interesting <laughs> team. Uh, at least with some of the players, they have some. You know, obviously, actually some known players too on that roster. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Group C, we've got the. Uh, FNRGFE team, which is the fan favorite, <laughs> or at least the caster favorite. What, a, what a great name to say, Brock. <laughs> I mean, now I can say to myself, so uh, like, and now FNRGFE goes to the payload. Like, okay, but it, it's almost, you know, we did it. It's almost natural now, there, yeah. And then they're joined by Yikes, Immortals, and Tempo Storm, which is the team on the rise, too. So uh, this, this is an interesting group. I think a lot of people, I think right off the top, would probably say Immortals and Yikes, you know, just from what they know. But I don't know. I feel like. Uh, Either FNR, GFE, and Tempo Storm could could pull an upset on the Ikes, or at least pull that second spot. I know Morte's uh, rooting for Tempo Storm, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. I mean, I know <laughs> your boys on it. Yeah, but I talk to Tweezy a lot, so it's like <laughs> I know they've been doing well in screams and stuff. So I think this might actually. I don't. I don't know how to call this group like. I actually have no clue. I think this will be pretty close. I mean, Immortals also just went through some restructuring. So, and Tempostorm also just went through some re- restructuring, and they got a code. Uh, let's mm-hmm. see how it yep. pays uh-huh. off, I guess. Yeah, I-, I would say actually, you know, we're talking about Group B being wide open. Yeah, looking at it again, I think Group C is relatively wide open as well. Where Yikes, of course, had their really big big breakout moment in the final monthly melee, but they've struggled a little bit in the aftermath. FNRGFE. They're a new squad with veteran players, but on the same note is that teams watch video. Teams, generally speaking, come out stronger on new rosters than they end up doing in the weeks after because people now know how they play. And then Immortals, I think, came out incredibly strong on day two once their uh, players flown in from Korea actually had a time to get some rest. Uh, (laughs) I do think there's the possibility they could have a resurgence to take first. Tempo is a wild card. I actually think pretty much everything in this group is a wild card to some extent. Uh, I... My gut feel is that Immortals, I think, will do very well with the changes they've made. I think they've had enough time to adapt. I would probably pick them to get number one, but I don't know. It's somewhat wide open. Yeah, I'd say the same. I, I think number two is the, the spot that's uh, up for grabs. Immortals just has enough experience. They've been in these kind of situations, and and uh, even with some changes. I mean, they've been in a situation where they've had a change just like a couple days before, and they've ended up performing well. So I think they, they can pull this off. Um, Group D. All right, we've got Kangarna, uh, Detroit Renegades, Cloud9, and Hollywood Hammers. This one's an interesting, an interesting one, too. I mean, I think a lot of people I mean, would say... I have some insight in this one, at oh, least. Oh, really? We played sure. I, mean, well, I, mean, I mean, we played against Cloud9 on LAN, and we had Hollywood Hammers just came from Europe, so yeah. I have some more to say about this one. Okay. So, well, yeah, Kangarna is, like, reformed, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know, like, how good they are. <laughs> Well, good. they got out of TSM jail is what yeah. happened there. Okay. The Renegades, they've been around for a long time now. They've been just doing okay. That's yeah. basically what well, I they always... recently had a decent, you know, a decent finish, but they were, you know, they've been struggling for a while before that. I think, like, Cloud9 is probably... Like, if they... 
like they had a lot of they didn't have time at all really before take tv like they flew to they flew kaiser <laughs> in kaiser, NA, and then he flew insta back to uh, germany they barely had time to practice i think like a week max so at least they have a lot of time now i think because that's actually a team like cloud nine you could notice it on land as well they can literally play anything like they can play dive they just sw swap off two tanks whenever they want sometimes mm -hmm. like last dates when it's arguably like dive is not always the best right now i think even so yeah. some last stages it's probably better to swap to ryan it's something we're trying as well now <laughs> so yeah it's gonna be interesting i mean hammer is a really solid team of good players only problem like slight problem they might have is that snizzle nose is very good at rodok but rodok is not played anymore so yeah, Snizzle so <laughs> so. is like very publicly not happy about it. I remember there was a rep that he's just like, yeah, I wish they did this for changes instead. Or like, give me back the six-second hook. Uh, Snizzle knows is a man passionate about his Roadhog. And obviously I mean, that's the, but that's the way it is. Like, people playing against Roadhog want to get it nerfed. People playing Roadhog think it's fine. <laughs> people play teams playing dive think dive is fine. People playing tanks think dive <laughs> is overpowered. I mean, that's just, well, everyone is biased. Like, literally, okay, so... More to say, that just goes back to the entire thing where, you know, rocks go, uh, look, paper is overpowered, scissors, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> These things happen. People are very much biased towards the things they like and the things they're good at. And, it's you know, they their self-interest. They have their own interest, interest in that, you know, of course, of course. But right. I will say here, as far as it goes, uh, mm -hmm. we didn't talk about who we thought to do well in Group D. Yeah. Uh, I do think Cloud9 uh, certainly has an edge here. And I... I the one thing I'll say here is that I actually, I wouldn't be surprised to see Hollywood Hammers take away from Kangarna. I would be surprised if Renegades was able to put together a full group stage and get top two given the competition here. I think Renegades has been somewhat struggling for quite a while here. And I don't think the recent changes have made have been enough to really fix that conundrum. I think that they have the ability to maybe take a set off of any of the teams here, but I don't see them being consistent enough to do well enough to actually get top two. Hmm. Okay. I think I'd agree with that too. I, I really want to see how cloud nine does. I'd like to see them just dominate this group, you know, and, and not, you know, just kind of eke out some wins here because um, I feel like they've been on the verge of doing it. You know, like they've played, they've played teams that are, uh, that they haven't been necessarily expected to beat a lot of times and have done pretty well. But um, I think they're in a position here where they, they should be beating these teams. And I'd just like to see them beat them handily so we can see where, where some of these teams are falling, especially Cloud9. Uh, so I'm, I'm most curious to see where that, what happens with that. Hammers, too. I think Hammers has been on the rise, too, just with the last couple of events. So, um, all right. Well, I mean, this is going to start on the 17th, I believe, right? Uh, you know, obviously, ZP, you're going to be casting this, I assume. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be Saturday and which one's first? Is it Europe first? And then, yeah. It, and then Nor Nor NA is the 18th. Okay. Yes. It, it has to be Europe first just for logistics. If you think about it, because yeah. Europe is earlier in the day and NA is, uh, later in the day. If you were to run NA on Saturday, then you would have a case where your production staff would get five hours of rest <laughs> before they would have to come in and prepare for the next day. So yeah. there's basically no other way of doing it other than having EU on Saturday and NA on Sunday. Right, and who's all casting? So you hex, uh, Gil, the Monty. Uh, same as last week. Just say, okay, same as last week. Okay, cool. All right. Well, um, that was uh, over to Overwatch contenders. Why don't we maybe just kind of cruise through Apex here, given that um, 
we spent a lot of time there. So Apex Season 3, Envy played uh, this past week. And they and this began the playoffs, the playoff groups. And Envy ended up playing X6 uh, first round. Tight series, but they ended up losing 3-2. So, um, you know, they're going to, you know, backs are against the wall. They pretty much have to win out the, at least the next two just to have a chance. But the fact that they lost 3-2 is good for them. Uh, but overall, what do you guys think about that match? I mean, obviously, very, very tightly contested. And X6 is like a dark horse that a lot of people have been picking. I mean, we played against X6 as well. When we were boot camping in Korea, they're like really strong. I think MV kind of didn't play that good. And I always have the feeling that they trying to force like some stuff like this reaper some somra stuff worked i think the match before them so they just mm -hmm. try to power it through again but i don't think it's like worth staying on it for that long i think in general like envy is really good at like doing like creating like weird situations for the enemy team for example i think that like a best of one on lijang right to decide the yeah, the tiebreaker, right? There was a there was yeah, a tie, and then, yeah. and then and then Taimo just went Vito on Lijang, and like that's something you never ever see anymore. I think like <laughs> right. I, I can't remember the last time I saw that in a match, and then it just pops off just because it, just having something that strange, people don't really know how to react anymore. So I've always been an advocate of the idea of coming out with things that are strong that another team might not be able to deal with immediately it goes back to this is actually like old school fighting game knowledge <laughs> right. type stuff but there's the idea of you don't have to do anything different until they prove that they can beat what you're doing like yep. there's people you can beat or at least catch off guard by doing something that they haven't seen for a while because it's going to take a while to actually adapt to it why treat them to your straight up best look when you have something that you know that actually they might not deal with for a while. So it's actually something I wish that we'd see a little bit more frequently in Overwatch where you know teams would just pull out the wild card every now and then and go, wait, what are they running? Why is this working? And before you know it, now they've gained 40, 50% of the control map almost for free. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same a bit like Nip problem though, I think with Envy. Like, I mean, Taimo has insane aim. On like McKee, he can do a lot. He can, on Vito, he can pop up, but you're still going to have to fact that they don't really have a Genji player so they're like against dive they're just gonna struggle it's mm -hmm. I don't know I mean the effect plays Genji but then you don't really have the Tracer play anymore or Harry has to go on Tracer or I don't know even I don't even know if I asked did Taimo ever play Vito I don't even know or uh the Tracer I mean I mean taking effect off of Tracer I think would be yeah, I mean, Crazy. the effect I mean, is doing it. He's like the best Tracer I mean it's like yes. no question so I think well, that would just be a bad move period Envy not being able to play good Genji has really been a thorn in their side for a really long period of time, and it's something that they probably need to address. And look, I mean, even though it didn't work out with Louis, they're very clearly interested in exploring the idea of six-man, or uh, beyond six-man rosters. So, I mean, it's something that they're probably going to have to look at sooner rather than later. Now, whether or not they're able to play through it here and come back through the lower bracket of Apex, we'll have to see. One thing that I thought was interesting, and this is just sort of like what I've been hearing from other people and all the rest and uh, going into it, but um, what do you think about the idea, Morte, that Korea is just better at prepping for specific matchups where perhaps X6 going into this really dug deeply into the annals of what Envy has been doing and Envy perhaps didn't dig as deeply into X6. So you had a case where going into the matchup, you just had one team that was more well-prepared than the other. I think Koreans prepare like for sure way better like for teams. Like we can, we even noticed it on Take TV already. Like with Bishop there for Cloud Nine, he actually, 
Like, I think that's a big difference between Western teams and Korean teams right now is Western teams are just brute forcing the stuff that they're really good at. Like, Rogue is the best example, but we are pretty much, I mean, we are pretty much the same as Rogue. Like, sometimes we adapt to another team, but we're still going to stick to what we are most comfortable with. But what you're most comfortable with might not be the strongest against another team like maybe it's better to pull another team out of their comfort zone than it is for you to be in your comfort zone yeah like i think i mean koreans do that a lot i think and i don't think western teams do it like enough at all i think western teams are like still that's the i mean you get who is better and stuff then you get in that topic but i think <laughs> i think like like skill wise, I think there's an insane amount of good Western players, but I just think we're a bit lazy. I think well, now let me just to, to, let to me ask point, you this, and this or, kind of gets back to that coaching uh, aspect and all the rest. But do you think part of that is on coaching, or do you think part of it is on players and what they're willing to listen to on coaching and all the rest? Because it does feel like there's more of a respect from sort of top down organization. Yeah, I on think the that's side of things. A lot of egos in Overwatch teams in the Western scene, and that doesn't help. Like, I don't know. I mean, even for me, sometimes it's hard to listen to. Hey, is our coach? So that's already like saying <laughs> enough. Like, yeah. I think it could. Yeah, I don't know. The discipline is just different there. So yeah, I mean, it could be something we have to fix for sure. Like, but that's why I think maybe I think at some point you're gonna have like really analysts who are like really good at understanding what's going on and what we could improve. And like, I mean, that's what you have in law already. You basically have the coach who's like the strict guy and who's like telling you to do this and just listen and listen. And then you have the analyst who really has the knowledge and just yeah shares that. Yeah, I I. I... You know, I can definitely see that, you know, that there is some type of, uh, you know, deficiency there or there are difference there between the, the two regions or the two cultures or whatever. But I think in this particular case, ZP, it, it could have been just the case of what you were talking about before, the fighting games. I mean, Envy had a strategy with Sombra and, and a lot of these maps where they won easily, you know, Sombra Reaper or whatever. They won, like, they were, they were winning Voskaya super easily at one point. Anubis, they were even winning at least a relatively, um, you know, with ease. And then, you know, so it, it could have been one of those cases where, you know, they didn't feel like they needed to adapt because nobody has been able to stop them or even play decently against them on those maps. And, but, and you saw X6 adapt to it. So it can get tricky because, like, if you go and sit, look at X6 and you want to, you know, adapt to a strategy that maybe you're, you, you guys haven't practiced enough, you're choosing between something that counters what your opponent's doing versus doing what you do best is is a difficult decision, you know, and, and I think that when you're not playing in a series, you know, you, it can be analogous to like, say, like the NBA finals, right? The first team to win usually has an advantage because they have the last countering ability, right? Be, you know, like after game two, that, that team that lost will counter whatever that other team did in game one and be able to respond to it better. And I think a lot of times that is, has an advantage and it kind of goes back and forth like that. In this type of thing, it's like you kind of get one shot at that team and that's it, you know, and you get a series, right? Uh, at least the series that happens on that same day. So with Envy, I feel like that's what happened to them. Like they they went in thinking that what they they do best what has been super successful for them so far, and you know unfortunately X six looked like they were ready for a lot of the things that they did. I mean the Sombra was very like much less ineffective in that series than than we've seen, and on some maps even cost them I would say. Well, I would just note to complete the FTC analogy there, the, there's like two sides to it, right? Is that if you're throwing out something that's not your main look to catch people off guard, 
you also have to be prepared to swap up to what is your main look once they have figured out what you're getting through, which, mm-hmm. you know, in this case did not quite happen. Yeah, like mid-game or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, just kind of rounding out uh, the results. LW Blue ended up taking care of Conbox 3-1. Um, fairly, you know, I, I think they, they handled them to be expected. So nothing really surprising there. Uh, AFB ended up beating Meta Athena very handily. Like that, that uh, I think some folks, maybe a lot of folks, uh, experts, weren't too surprised. But I don't know. I, I still think beating Meta Athena, you know, easily is well, is something to talk thing about. Thing with Meta Athena right now, I think, is that they are not. They were really good last season, yeah. but they're really, really, really struggling against the dive. So I kind of saw it coming. Also, <laughs> like. People are kind of underestimating AF yeah, Blue. Absolutely. Like I've heard from Rogue as well, who've been in Korea way longer, longer than us, is that they probably they I think they said that, that they thought that was the strongest opponent out there. So like their coordination is so good. Like realistically, you have just an insane amount of really good dive teams in Korea right now. Mm-hmm. And I just think a- even like the result after that, where Kongdu Pantera beats Lunatic High with Lunatic High not putting in Who Are You, it's just questionable <laughs> in my eyes. But like Kongdu yeah. Pantera also has an insane DPS duo. Like that's people expect yeah, Lunatic right. High just to win this season, but I honestly, I, I actually don't think they will win this season. I think it's gonna be. I mean, they could like what they have speaking. I mean, they're really good. Like you have AF Blue is really good, the W Blue is really good, Kongdu Pantera and Lunatic High. Only Lunatic High kinda always seems to power through in offline events so that's i don't know i mean they'll probably uh, i think it's this is probably the hardest season to call yet who's gonna win one thing i'll note about Manathena and why it probably should be that big of a surprise also is that even going back to week one they were definitely a little bit more tortured coming into the season so i mean this really struggled to gather a, a sense of dominance all throughout so i mean we'll see i mean obviously no one's out of it here just yet but uh I don't know. There's very little that surprised me in uh, Overwatch as of late. I feel like one thing that we've sort of shifted away from on all sides is the idea of just having one superpower team where, I mean, Morte, you know it better than anyone else back in the early beta, et cetera. You did have like a very distinct tier one, tier two, et cetera. And now it just feels like no matter where you're looking at, things have very much been crushed yeah. together. You can, yeah, I think like there's a lot of in EU and in A and even in Korea, you just have teams who can take maps and even matches from each other on any day. I think it's, I think that's good. Like you don't have these superpowers anymore, so I think it's gonna equalize even more. Like the closer we get to the the Overwatch League, the more teams are like. I mean, rosters realistically are still gonna shuffle a lot, and I think it's gonna yeah. Like if you have all the if you have so much talent, there's so much talent in this game, and the skill ceiling even have, hasn't been reached yet at all. I think so. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see. You mentioned the change to benching who are you and putting Guido in there instead that was odd like I was really shocked that they would do that who are you is I mean I mean you could a lot of people could argue who the best Genji is in Korea who are you is definitely in that discussion so um, so that's strange the funny part is Guido was actually doing really well he even pulled out the Genji himself and he was really doing well like the first few matches but like the last map it kind of fell off I didn't watch the end part but I just read read it and they said he through so i don't know how yeah, true that actually is I, I would have to yeah, rewatch yeah. it but mm-hmm. it's like well, yeah when you say so throwing i mean i do we do have like the best example of it again in the last monthly melee but yeah. <laughs> well okay sure uh, tiny bit of shit. Yeah. yeah so with lunatic high i feel like lunatic high's it's the same it's historically they've just been that team that 
when they bring it together, they're like the best team. But they have their moments where, you know, Eska blowing himself up with, you know, pulse bombs like he did and you know, just not the top level play. I mean, just not top play, you know, from their players. Then, That's not what you want to do when yeah. Fitz just is already uh, spamming Escalul. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, Twitch chat is... You don't want to was actually them. playing. I think he was playing really good today. So, I mean, that stuff just happens. I yeah. mean, it just happens. Like I know, but, you know, whenever they're playing well, those kind of things don't happen, you know, and they're they're able to just be in sync. And that that's what's kind of exciting about Lunatic High. You don't know which one will show up, you know, from day to day. Uh, so, unfortunately, you know, today against Kundu Panthera, they just, they, they got rolled over. But we'll see. You know, I still think it's, it possibly is the finals, you know, happening early. But, um, you know, how does, work, how does it work with the groups? Like, how does it work with the groups? The top like, two goes through or just the top top team goes through? I forget. In For the members. Apex, no, you're not, or what where, What are we talking about? The in groups Apex, in Apex. You, no, it's like double elimination group. Yeah, it's double. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, because it's it's just listed as. But a group. still, That's only I got, I got confused. Okay. Well, you don't have a group like. Yeah, it's like a mini bracket. Through. It's a mini bracket. Yeah, it's gonna side. be like a semifinal and then. Yeah. And thought you were referring back to contenders because uh, yeah, Apex yeah. is just in a double limb setup now. The only thing that has groups is contenders. Yeah, I was just calling cool. it groups. Yeah, it's just. I think when I was looking at it and how it's listed, it just looked like a group. When it, it's really just brackets on both sides, but. Yeah. Um, so we we could see that ma- rematch definitely. So, um, hopefully we will. I don't. I, I think I still think those are two of the best teams. And playing this early is kind of sucky. I hate seeing people. I hate seeing the two best teams play like in the semifinals. You know, whenever that happens, it's always a, a little underwhelming. Uh, okay, well I, that kind of wraps up the Apex uh, segment here. Uh, do you want to remind folks that we are available, or the overview is available on iTunes as well as Google Play and SoundCloud? So if you like to listen to podcasts on the way to work, or uh, just on your iPhones or working out or whatever, you can definitely find the overview there by searching for uh, Overwatch podcasts. And if you want to help out the show and just have like a few minutes, you can go and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And that, again, helps folks find it whenever they're searching for it just because, you know, SEO and all that good stuff. Uh, So, yeah, I appreciate the folks that have done it. And, um, you know, we'll try to give you a shout-out if you have. All right, uh, the news. We got a a list of a couple of news. Actually, we talked about the DeFran thing already. So uh, Fnatic ended up deciding to drop their Overwatch roster. And that's, you know, we alluded to, uh, you know, some... Like Tempo Storm picking up, you know, Raffle Gator and, and things like that. Well, uh, yeah, F- Fnatic decided to step away from Overwatch, at least stepping back. That doesn't mean they're leaving forever, but at least for now. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, that means dropping that entire team. I think we kind of knew this last week when we were, uh, we talked about Fnatic just very, very briefly. But any thoughts on this? Fnatic's always been one of the, be- you know, better teams. And, I mean, the, the roster has a long history just uh, in, in Overwatch and beyond Overwatch. But, um, yeah, what do you think about this? I mean, as far as it goes, it's just a case where they were stuck in a rebuilding stage for quite a while. There's a lot of talent on uh, that roster. Uh, well, I mean, there's two parts. It's both the roster itself, which decided not to stick together and go their separate ways before contenders, and then it's also Fnatic dropping the roster. So well, let's. Uh, I'm going to attack the roster part first and then the organization part. But sure. from the roster part is that uh, what it came down to is that you really need an excellent uh, tank player right now, particularly someone who can play a really good Winston. And they needed a really good support and finding people to fill those particular roles to really round up what they had was difficult. And they basically spent like 
two, three months trying out different people in those roles and they weren't able to find it. And then sort of fatigue took its role. The people on the team felt like, well, we're all really good players. We can find our spots on other teams that currently have those uh, roles filled rather than just sitting here and hoping that we find the right tank and right support. So that's kind of what happened behind the scenes for them in regards to this. Uh, and they do have a lot of talent. I don't know exactly why Fnatica did what they did as from the org, but the most I can say is that it's just the idea that if your org isn't getting top four results reliably to the idea that even if you didn't want to go all in on Overwatch League, you could still sell the roster. It, it, they weren't doing well enough to probably justify keeping it on for the idea of reselling it would be my guess, but I, I don't even know if that's true. That's just my speculation. Yeah, so, I mean, I I played for Fnatic, like, before, so I know, like, yep. how the organization works. Like, the roster-wise, I mean, they're all individually pretty good players, but, like, not together or something. That's always how it felt to me. Like, I, for, for example, I've been playing against Kumat for for years, like, in other games as well, and, like, I just know a lot of them are, like... I don't know. I think this is just the best way for them to go. Just try out. I, like, you can have six of the best players in the world, but sometimes it just doesn't work out. So just yeah. have to separate to see where it, uh, where, it, where it goes. Like, you can have... If you never have, like... I I don't... Like, they've always been around. They're like... Yeah, I don't know. They've always been around, but never really reached the top. And I think that's problematic for also team morale and stuff. And, like, for Fnatic, they probably didn't... They saw that as well, plus the looming Overwatch League, and I think their Dick Fnatic is a really conservative orc. So I actually do not see them buying into the Overwatch League like mm -hmm. instantly. In my eyes, like they're they'll just see what goes on, and then they'll if they want to get in, they can just get in. They'll just buy in, buy a good team. Like that's the thing. Like I don't think like rosters right now are. Like they're, they don't mean much to yeah. these big orcs. That's well, they, they, they might as well they wait. Anyone, yeah. yeah. I I I totally get you. I mean, we've seen it. Right? We've seen um, you know some long-standing brands uh, take a step back. You know, in the last month of, of Overwatch, and I think we we will see that. And the Overwatch League is going to start, and it's going to start with X number of teams, and it's going to expand from there. You know, hopefully, so they will have opportunities, whether even just to buy existing slots or. There'll be new ones opening up, so no rush for some of these these guys. You know, not, don't have to be the first ones in there. Uh, but another, I guess, a bit of news is that Tempest Storm announced that they are they signed Beast Halo and Rafflegator, and they part ways with their existing uh, manager slash coach uh, uh, Novex. So uh, you know, Rafflegator, you know, was a coach. Was he was he coaching while you were there? I, I forget. Um, in, no, 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 no. That was a no, long time but, ago, right? That was like no, but we never really played yeah. Overwatch for Fnatic. We played for them before in different other titles. Oh, but I know, like Rofogate has been yeah, around yeah. for, like, he probably is the first Overwatch coach. I think he maybe. was. I think officially yeah. he was the first Overwatch coach. So, so to give you Rafflegator's history, as far as that goes, Rafflegator goes all the way back to uh, old school IDQD, where he was involved yeah, with right. them and all, all the rest. Uh, and up until the point where I think it was uh, Mendo and Tvik that ended up leaving that team, I think Ruffle ended up leaving them somewhat, somewhere along the time frame. I don't know if it was directly related, but eventually he ended up getting involved with what would become the core of the Fnatic roster, and that's how he got involved with Fnatic. So it wasn't like someone that Fnatic brought on specifically to go coach Overwatch. Yeah. He got involved with the Fnatic core of players, and 
went in that way. And oh, as far as Tempo Storm signing, I know Raffle's a good guy. Uh, he spent a lot of time uh, coaching and, you know, recently had to go through, um, like, he's done a lot for the FNAC team, even working through some, like, pretty rough personal time. So, I mean, there's a lot to be said for the guy's work ethic. So I'm happy to see him get the opportunity. I can't really say too much one way or another on Novix. I just, I'm not that close enough to the situation, know what was working, what wasn't working there. I will say that Tempo as an org is definitely much more serious in recent times about really getting the right players on the team and putting together the best possible team where it's no secret that they've been more aggressive in trying to build a more competitive Overwatch roster. So, Mm -hmm. I would not expect that to change going forward where now they're adding in Beast Halo and Rufflegator, but if they don't get the results they want, I would expect Tempo to make more moves. So it is exciting to see them uh, put more uh, money and uh, effort into Overwatch as it is right now. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's see. And another bit of news here is we have um, just some owner-investor type of news. We've got uh, Jeff... Uh, Vinick from the, or better known for being the Tampa Bay Lightning's owner, just the hockey team. Uh, well, he's joining the, the investment group that, you know, that's invested into Team Liquid. So there's a lot of speculation about, you know, maybe a team in Tampa now too. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people in that group. So um, I think it could be very, very, you know, just various cities. But Team Liquid can just pick. I know, right? Just like, okay, who wants it? Like, which of these guys, you know, want to want to have their home cities there? But uh, what it means, though, is just more money, right? More money going into this investment group that's, um, you know, backed backing Team Liquid. So uh, it's good, right? It's good news. Team Liquid, obviously, in a very great position to be a part of Overwatch League, and this just helps that. Um, and then the last bit of news we've got is uh, something for E3, which is that the U.S. and Canadian World Cup teams will be revealing their rosters on Thursday, and, it, and it's going to also be precluded by a show match between the two. So kind of a publicity type of uh, event, and you know, given it's at E3, it's obviously pretty huge. Uh, I'm going to actually be there. I'm not sh- sure I'm going to be able to attend the show match necessarily, but I'll be at E3, and... Hopefully, we'll get a chance to to see at least some of the festivities there for Overwatch. But what do you guys think? You just the the team reveals, and then having a show match after that. I think it's a good PR thing for the game, as far as it goes, where mm-hmm. you're getting it out there at one of the most watched events uh, in the world of video gaming. Period. Not just esports, but video games. I mean, you need only look at Twitch and how all the coverage has gone for E3, where it's just dominated. I mean, it's going on right now. Not to say leave the stream or anything, but oh. E3 is clearly. Uh, a big uh, talking point, and why not uh, promote the World Cup there? Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Morte? Just yeah, you... I mean, it's. I think it's a perfect venue to do something like that, and I think, I mean, they don't really have anything big to announce. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, I think it's very good, and I think it will just add hype around the World Cup. I mean, last year was already received really well. I think it had pretty good viewership and stuff. So. I think this year it will be even better. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, this year the competition is also going to be way... I mean, you actually have a lot of countries who have a lot, like, a lot of good players on them. So it's going to be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't wait to see who's actually on the team. Because we've speculated for weeks and weeks now, obviously. At least the American team. Uh, so we'll finally figure it out. Jason's still in the chat. You know, obviously he's going to be there. And, and just all the committee, the whole committees, obviously, will be there for both teams. 
So uh, I, I will say I feel a little bit bad for Kai Kai though because Kai Kai is going to have to f- like it was a case where you know I heard that this oh, is happening. It's like okay, God. surely you're not going to fly Kai Kai out there and back because he obviously has to work with Envious for uh, yeah. what's going on Apex. But no, Kai Kai is being a soldier man, where he is flying out there uh, for basically one day awesome. and then flying all the way back, and that's not a short flight. However, maybe the secret story there is that it's not just Kai Kai being a good soldier. Kai Kai just wanted to go up a status tier, whatever airline he has frequent flyer miles with, because <laughs> hey, that that that, that is a fringe benefit. One step closer to that gold card or that platinum card or whatever it is, right? <laughs> That's how I'd be doing it if I was Kai Kai. Right I haven't flown once with the same airline yet since I started playing Overwatch. So. Oh really? Okay, so, so that is so part how many on frequent me. flyer? How many frequent flyer accounts? Do yeah, you like have, three. Yeah, it's it's actually a disaster. It doesn't work. <laughs> okay, Morte, that's part on you, though. Like, I-, I will tell you that I've been mostly successful, like, aggressively uh, talking to the orgs going, look, I want to fly on this airline. Like, it's the one thing where you uh, will get a little bit of give on, I mean, from time to time. I don't know. I'm not saying you'll always be successful, but feel free to just, like, really go out there when they're asking for details and be like, look, I really want to fly on this. I have status on this. It- this is uh, something you need to be just aware I'm not of worried, me. man. We're going to have a pri- uh, private jet with the Overwatch League anyway. So. Oh, nice. Okay. Thank nice. Dream big. Yeah, as far as it goes. I approve. <laughs> All right. We got some questions, email questions from a few of the viewers and fans out here. Uh, we got Jay Torres. He's got uh, a couple questions. Of course, the obligatory question about, about female players here. I've been, I've only been in the esports scene for Overwatch, so... So I don't know if this is for most games, but it, I was wondering why there isn't any female players on pro teams. Um, so I guess we answer that question first. I, I mean, we there's just not as many female players, I think, in the competitive scene right now. Just purely a numbers thing. And, I mean, even World Cup. Didn't we just see one female player the entire World Cup last year? There was... I mean, yeah, Zarya yeah. player in Korea, like. Oh yeah, yeah, but that it. wasn't World Cup. But that that was. No, no, yeah, but I mean, I I, I don't really have a reason. I think the yeah. only reason is, uh, that's maybe a bad reason, but I think in general, just guys are just more competitive in nature. So, I, I... like for me, like I started playing games when I well, I started playing games when I was really young. But when I started playing games on computer for real, I was like bored within a week from just playing public, and I just started looking for the team already and started playing matches mm-hmm. just because it's I don't know. I just don't I... think it's fun not having any competition. Mm-hmm. I think it's somewhat of a complex uh, question to answer. I'd say probably the easiest thing to look at is the numbers thing that you're mentioning, Chaman. The way I always try and describe this pyramid theory, right? And this goes for also explaining differences between regions and going, well, why does this one region have way more skilled players in general? Is that, you know, you take a look at it where for maybe every 10 average players, you get one good player. Then for every 10 good players, you get a really good player. For every 10 really good players, you get an amazing player type of deal where the more players you have to form the pyramid, the more skill tiers you're going to get. And obviously, between the two genders, you do have a lot more men playing over women. So if you subscribe the pyramid theory, that alone would pretty clearly stack the deck a lot more towards the favor of men just on numbers alone. But I mean, it's yeah. a very complicated question where there's it's a, a lot complicated. of theories. There's other elements, too, that I mean, I, for this, you know, Jay Torres has obviously not been in other esports scenes. But, you know, there's there's a lot of dialogue also just about uh, the environment 
that that's there even just for female players i mean they are treated differently from you know the the twitch chat and other things no matter if you agree with it or not the reality is that if you're watching twitch chat and there's a female player that's on a team you will see just very you know very inappropriate things that you know if that person is watching the twitch chat it's not a fun thing to have to deal with and i've talked to female players or female gamers that are extremely talented at whatever game that is and are definitely pro level and they just don't even want to bother because they you know it doesn't make them happy you know it just adds stress to their lives so there is an element of that too that that is across all of these where that's not just overwatch and you know like like cp said it's a it's a long discussion and unfortunately we we'd have to have like an entire episode on it we don't have time for that right now uh but his second question is do you think it's better to be um to be good at a lot of heroes or to be a specialist like more of a flex player and we we had this conversation a little bit about tavik right is it is it good to be well-rounded jack i wouldn't say jack of all trades i mean I, I think you have to be more than jack of all trades you have to be a king of all trades if you're gonna whatever you're playing you got to be super super good at it um so and, yeah the thing right now probably every player needs to be able to play at least two heroes in the team mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. probably need one guy who can play like like six or something so I think realistically it's better to be a one trick for most people, but you do need one guy in the team who can I think like and it's probably like for us it's Cruz and Unfix flexing the most. So it's like it has to be your Genji and your soldier pretty much who have to play everything. I mean in this meta you don't really want your tracer to swap off ever, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Zen is not gonna swap, or yeah, he can swap to Ana, but that's not really gonna change anything too much. So, I don't know. I think it's better to one trick and be really good than to be like okay on a lot right. of champs. Exactly. CP. Uh- as far as it goes, I mean, clearly, if you take a look at the competitive scene, you've had a one tricking has been very much rewarded. Where you have a player that gets incredibly good at one hero. Uh, oftentimes, the DPS heroes are the flashiest, and they do incredibly well with it. Versatility. It, let's put it this way: versatility is important to have. But if the versatility means that on your DPS you're running a player that's like an 8 out of 10 on something when the other team is running a 10 out of 10 and the meta lets them run their 10 out of 10 DPS hero against your 8 out of 10 in every game, well, you're probably going to get steamrolled. Mm -hmm. So I would say this is that I think versatility can be very good, but if your versatility is coming at the cost of running someone that's significantly weaker than a counterpart on the other team, it's not going to end up well for you. So we are in this period here where people... More and more time gets spent on Overwatch as we go forward, right? Which means people are building up more and more skill. We're sort of in this in-between period, I feel like, where the people that have just gone out of their way to say, grind Tracer, like their life depends on it, and put in way more hours than someone who tries to be a jack-of-all-trades, well, their Tracer is going to be substantially better than most people who have tried to do a bit of everything. And they're getting rewarded for it right now. As you go forward in the Overwatch and people get more time into the game, more ability to perhaps extend out their skill base, maybe you have a case where versatility ends up being a bigger deal, but uh, it's hard. I think Morte is more on the track here where you do need some people that can swap off because there are minor adjustments meta-wise, but you absolutely do need superstars and particular heroes, especially if that hero is critical to the current meta. Uh, I'm going to go, you know, I I guess I'm going to go even further and just say that the um, the time where you know versatility meaning like being able to play a bunch of different characters uh, out can like even 
the value or just the evaluation between a player and somebody who's a specialist, that, that time is dwindling down. I think eventually it's just going to be gone. Not to say that you can't be good, like you can't be like a 10 out of 10 at multiple um, characters. You know, if you are, your value is obviously, you know, more than the guy who's only good at one. But for the most part, I think if you're a specialist, these teams are going to have more than six people on the roster. I think this is just the beginning. People are going to start building rosters of nine and, you know, maybe even 10. So literally you could just have a Genji specialist, a Tracer specialist, you know, a, a Winston. And that that's how I see Overwatch in the future. So you know my answer would be just be a specialist like that's so i don't think i actually i actually don't think like a super stacked roster with like nine people is the way to go at all like, oh really okay no like i think seven is seven is probably the max like mm -hmm. the whole thing about overwatch is that you need to flex mid match oh okay and true. mid map yeah. that's so true. i think you need to have people who are good on that like honestly yeah i mean Having a really good Genji, you can probably like flex out, but I don't think like nine men, I don't think you can like have nine one tricks and just put them on the map. But because even like, for example, um, I'm gonna take, uh, let's say Root, for example, like you can dive on the first stage, dive on the second stage, but like on the on the third stage diving, if he gets top there, it's not that good anymore, I think. Mm -hmm. So then you would have to swap, but it's not like we're gonna have nine PCs and then you can just turn one off and then put the next guy yeah. in. Like <laughs> okay, sure. And that would be interesting, though, is if we ever did get to the idea where you could swap mid map, because I do think there'd be something cool about the idea of being able to swap there. But as you mentioned, you do start get into logistical uh, areas there, just within a current gaming arena. Where well, forget the part where you have to fly everyone out there, but now just do you have to build booths to accommodate that one team that has ten players? I mean. Maybe, no, but, but uh, it seems very far off, to say the least. Yeah, but even like, I also think it's you can you will get to the unfair stuff where teams will just buy out every good player who are really loaded. And yeah, I don't know. I I actually, I actually think Blizzard should just force six people like six plus one. I I mean you're gonna need a sub. Like stuff can happen, and I think that mm -hmm. I think like I I think a seven man roster is the way to go, and I think that's very realistic but i don't think I'd, i actually would prefer more not even being allowed at all okay so you think that you you'd like to see blizzard put a restriction on roster size okay yeah i think that would would definitely give a lot more value to the people that can play you know multiples so that'd be interesting uh, all right douglas i says hey chain man friends i'm a big fan of the show listen to it every week it wasn't uh, if it wasn't for your show i'd never keep up with overwatch esports my question is, we continue to see the meta change over time from Beyblade to Death Ball to Triple Tank, I guess, and Quad Tank, and now Dive. My question is, what are the contributing factors that help shape and change the meta over time? Is it just the hero changes that Blizzard makes over time, or is there more to it? Well, certainly I would say that balance changes are a huge, huge part as right. to why things change. I mean, obviously you look back to things like the Beyblade meta, the part where you got speed from being nano boosted was very, very good. The combo with a Reaper, it made Reaper a spinning top of death that came in from all sorts of angles. And changing that definitely hurt Reaper and pulled him out. So things don't happen into a vacuum. I would note that the hero changes in terms of that, a hero can also be improved and be used in the meta just because a hero that competes with them gets nerfed down. Like 
to give you an example is that when you have a McCree nerf come in that makes him less viable, suddenly you have a reason to run a soldier. So yeah. it's not just changes directly to the hero, but changes to competing heroes that do it. Then there's also just the idea that people also realize that heroes are better than they give him credit for. Well, again, I'll use McCree as an example. I remember before McCree was really getting heavily used uh, back in the era where you had like double McCree pre no hero limit, et cetera. He wasn't used for a really long time. And it just sort of came up from the idea of people realizing, wait, this hero is really good. We can do this. So I would say maybe like 70% of the meta at times is decided, but directly as a result of cascading changes from a patch, but also sometimes it's players just figuring something out and that having drastic effects on the game as well. I mean, yeah, I may, yeah, I like 100% agree with that. I don't really have anything to add. That's basically, guess... like, you just have the meta sh shifting based on the patches, and then you have teams, like, finding out, like, I mean, the meta still has to be, like, discovered by a team at some point, and then people start, I mean, uh, Reaper Ana is also something that someone started rolling out and probably i mean if you're really smart you just keep that secret and just only use it in like e-league out of nowhere like but that's not really <laughs> like works. yeah but honestly like at some point i think stuff like that will happen like you're gonna be like oh that's actually very strong like if you have more heroes as well like we're gonna see combos that people like actual combos that people are gonna try to hide if it really works I, I totally agree. I think the only reason why you don't see that happen more here is that, I mean, you can comment on this a little bit more, Morte, but I always tend to feel like Overwatch players right now in particular, there's always this, like, this sense of impending stress where everyone wants to put out the very best results, not only in tournament day, but on scrim day as well. I mean, I know certainly in the West, uh, teams get pretty down to the dumps if they have a day of scrims where they just get throttled by everything. So if people do get something in the back pocket, if they're not already winning every game without it, they're generally incentivized to bring it out ASAP. But of course, that will proliferate pretty quickly if people realize it's effective. All right, so last question from Squid Squatter. What do you think would be the best way for a new org to come into the scene? Uh, would it be hire a coach and let them build a team from a large amount of very talented free agents or pick up an unsponsored team and try to coach them and maybe try to upgrade in a few roles? We seem to see evidence for both being good ways to build a team in the NA contenders. So he's talking specifically about, I guess, oh, maybe I guess we've seen it in the NA contenders. So yeah, you guys are a GM. Let's say you, you know, a, a team hires you today and they say, hey, go get me a team. Like, What's going to be your approach to doing that? I'd probably buy uh, out a solid core from somewhere and then add free agents to it. I think it's like a mix of both is probably the best. Like a new team is like good because you can still shape it completely. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Uh, for example, it's like a, it's gonna be really hard for uh, if you buy like a, if you get a complete team, then it's really hard to get like the the atmosphere and like the 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 like a lot of teams make the same mistakes over and over again and i think that's just human nature people do the same stuff all the time i mean you'll see me just suiciding sometimes because i think i can poop someone off the map that kind of stuff but like i think if you have a new team it's easier to make like new to start off fresh you know but yeah i think still you need like a strong core and then you can add to it it can be like a dps core it can be like a support core but I think you need to start somewhere. I think it's really hard to like throw six free agents together and then hope that it works. Yeah. So I think hard is the right word of choice here is that I think the right way of doing it is incredibly difficult and success is hardly guaranteed. 
I do think there's a lot of merit to the idea that the way that Overwatch teams should be done going forward is that you have a coach who is the boss, the coach that is able to have authority over the players, make roster changes as needed, and go from there. You're not going to have an empowered coach if you pick up an existing team of six. Now, the upside is that if you pick up an existing team of six, that's a known quantity already, right? Where you know that you're going to be getting a pretty high-level performance, assuming that you pick a team that's been doing well. But in terms of your options going into the future of really retooling that team, getting the right results, making sure that your coach is able to do what he needs to be able to do, that's going to be more difficult. And it's very easy if you don't have the right personnel, the right coach, the right person to guide it to end up in a TSM situation where you're just like trying out different parts and you don't have the expertise required to really lead it properly. So really you can make arguments for both ends. I would say if you have faith that you have picked up an amazing coach and he's the guy that you want to be able to build it. I think you definitely build the team from scratch. If you're looking for instant results and something to maybe slowly build upon over time, but realizing that's going to be harder to get a coach in, you probably just pick up a team wholesale. Yeah, Both approaches can work. I think one is substantially harder than the other. And the one that's harder probably has the better long-term results if you do everything right. But it also has way more risk of catastrophic failure. All right, guys. Well, thanks uh, to J Torres, Douglas, I, and Squid, Squid Squatter for emailing in. And again, guys, if you want us to read out your email on the show next week, go ahead and email the overview at chainmb.tv, and we will definitely do that. But that's going to be it, guys. We're going to wrap things up. Uh, Morte, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us. I mean, we went, no we problem, went, man. It was fun. Yeah, it's one of our longer episodes too. So, uh, you know, we talked a lot about. I'm hungry. <laughs> You're hungry. <laughs> exactly. It's <laughs> late over there, but again, we appreciate it. You want to do any shout outs before you take off? I mean, shout out to United for sure. Where's that I cap? Mean... Where's that cap? <gasps> oh yeah. <laughs> there it is. There to... it is. There it is. <laughs> Uh, this looks really bad, but anyway, uh, yeah, shout out to the United. I mean, they believed in us when we were like reforming and stuff. And thanks to everyone, like we have an amazing fan base out there. Like I see Reddit flares like all the time, and mm-hmm. it's mega. It's just amazing to know that there's so many people who support us and who, yeah, even through our worst times. So now we're doing good again. So maybe we can put some results on the board and make everyone happy. Right, starting this weekend, right? <laughs> uh, or at least continuing this weekend, because last week, this past weekend, you were really <laughs> great. Uh, ZP, shout outs. I mean, shout outs for me, aside from Morte for coming on the show. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with you. And we've known each other for way too long. Like, me and Morte actually know each other going all the way back to Firefall of all games. <laughs> so oh, wow. It goes, like, okay. it goes way, way back, back oh, yeah. when. Uh, as actually playing as opposed to just casting. But um, no, it's always good to catch up with Morte. Uh, definitely big shout to everyone uh, on the production staff for OW Contenders, everyone I cast with uh, that's going on there. Definitely check out everything that's going on this weekend because we're just at the uh, beginning of a watch competition here and things are going to get even better as time goes on. Uh, it's going to be exciting to finish out the month. It's going to be exciting to finish out the rest of the year. So uh, definitely give that a look at. And yeah, I mean, shout out to you guys for listening in uh, to this entire broadcast. Yeah, thanks to everyone for watching, obviously. Yeah, and uh, I'll round things out. Thanks to the both of you guys, EP and Morte, for doing the show with me today. All of you guys for watching. I know there's a lot of E3 stuff going on, so thanks for you know the folks that did tune in. And you can watch the episode if you missed any of it on youtube.com slash a little bit later. That's where all of our episodes are. You can 
you know, if you look at some of the old ones that we've done, uh, you can also uh, find our uh, show on iTunes and SoundCloud and Google Play a little bit later tonight, too. I'm going to be at E3 uh, flying out tomorrow, and I'll be there until Friday. So uh, come and say hi. We'll be doing, uh, obviously, the Overwatch thing is going to be happening, so I'll probably be over there at some point with a show match. But I'm also doing Streamer Showdown on the Twitch stage, 4, four o'clock Thursday. So it's gonna we're gonna have a, a, some of the variety gamers on there and DJ Weed hosting. So come and come and say hi. I'll definitely be there. That's gonna be it for the overview this week. So for Morte, ZP, and myself, Cham V, we'll see you next time. <laughs>